This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on a Friday morning edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Matt Barry is here of Dog Post to talk about. Um, let me check my notes here. Yeah, Georgia has all the quarterbacks now. Is that correct, Matt? They've got a full quarterback room right now. Uh, brought two transfers in. Obviously, Jamie Newman uh, from Wake Forest came in after Jake Fromm decided he was going to leave for the 2020 NFL Draft. And they got a big one yesterday, former five-star quarterback JT Daniels transferred from USC. So it's a pretty crowded uh, quarterback room. They already have Dewan Mathis, four-star kid from the 2019 class. Carson Beck, high four-star kid from the 2020 class, is already on campus. So a lot of quarterbacks are just one spot, Chase. I um I love when it this all, all this happens in the offseason because it sounds so neat, sounds so clean. You have DJ Shockley saying that only good can come from competition. You got a quote from Brock Vandegrift, who said this is why you pick UGA for the competition. I um I don't buy any of that. I don't believe any of that. I think it sounds good in theory. It sounds good in what month are we in? May. You know what it doesn't sound right. good? When it's actually week eight and you're on the bench, and you're not sure you're ever going to get your job back. You can ask Jake right. Easton if he enjoyed the competition at Georgia. You can ask um, uh, just quarterbacks all over the country right now if they like it. Justin Fields, did he like the competition? No, because you know what they would rather have? A starting job, and there's only one of them. So I, I do wonder when the tune changes. But thankfully for Georgia and Georgia fans, it's that JT can't play this year and that he's doing it under the assumption that he's going to just have to beat out Carson Beck next year because this is still Jamie Newman's job this year. But then you have Brock Vandegrift, the five-star kid who decommitted from Oklahoma to come to Georgia, and you just, you got to wonder. I mean, it's better to have too many quarterbacks than not enough, but I I am interested to see how this unfolds, and I think Georgia fans also need to be aware that maybe half of these people are not going to wind up at Georgia long-term. Right. Well, I think if you're Kirby Smart, you've got to be super, super happy, especially in today's world of college football, when 
you know, kids don't want to sit. They want a starting job. They don't want to wait now. And with the transfer portal, kids can transfer all willy-nilly whenever they want. And some of them are able to play immediately. So if you're Kirby Smart, you've got to stack that room because deep down, I mean, you've seen it before, obviously, kids are going to want to leave. And even with the COVID crisis going on, I mean, if, if Jamie Newman gets sick, the last thing Kirby Smart wants to do is play true freshman Carson Beck uh, against Alabama, even on the road without fans. That's still going to be pretty tough. So, you know, he's just doing what he can, filling that quarterback room, having plenty of options. And um, just going from there, obviously, I do think this is going to be Jamie Newman's job. I don't think JT Daniels, even if he is able to play uh, this next year, uh, it's going to be Jamie's job. And then uh, JT will uh, be in a position to battle a Carson Beck and a Brock Vandegrift next year. But if you're Kirby, you know, your job is to find the right guy and have competition. And uh, with Jake Fromm leaving, I definitely think that he went out and tried to get, you know, as much talent as he could coming in there. So, yeah, it's probably not ideal for guys like Carson Beck and Dwan Mathis and even JT Daniels if he's coming in expecting to beat out Jamie Newman for the job and it doesn't happen. Yeah, there could be some animosity between some of the quarterbacks and the team and all that. But right now, I think Kirby Smart's pretty happy. And if you're a Georgia fan, just watching it from the couch. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you got to like uh, the move because JT is obviously a very talented player. Um, reclassified from the 2019 class up to 2018. So he's already a young kid. He got thrown into the fire at Southern Cal, had its ups and downs definitely as a freshman, then got hurt uh, in the season opener as a sophomore, lost a job. But the talent is still there. And, um, yeah, it'll be something to, to watch and see how it unfolds. But I do think that this is Jamie Newman's job in 2020. I do think it's odd, too, that USC with Graham Harrell did not, open the competition back up like i understand keaton slovis was good down the stretch for usc last year but it wasn't like i like you just can't like you can't give the job back it wasn't like a from eason type situation it was he was good but like in that scheme i just everyone's good and it's really hard not to be good in graham harrell's scheme and i i would have liked I i guess i just would have wondered why they didn't give JT Daniels, their five-star kid, a chance to win the job back. I understand the injuries have derailed part of it at that time, and maybe he just wanted the fresh start because it just didn't pan out there. And also, we really just don't know what USC is going to be like, or we don't even know what their football season is going to be like this fall. Maybe that played into JT wanting to go. Um, I don't know. But in your estimation, what do you think Georgia is getting in JT Daniels when you were watching him in high school and you were watching some of his USC stuff? Like what, what is going to be different about JT Daniels and the other quarterbacks that Georgia's had in the past? Well, I definitely think he's fundamentally sound and the kid's a winner. He won the starting job at modern day as a freshman, you know, and that's a powerhouse, not only in California, but in high school football across the country, that's a big program. He won the job as a freshman. Uh, the footwork is there. Uh, he is mobile, but he's not going to run over you. He's not going to run by you or anything like that. But he can make some plays with his feet. But the ability to throw the ball downfield accurately and throw a catchable ball. He's not throwing rockets in there that you know can be dropped every you know third pass. He does throw a nice catchable ball and uh, high football IQ. Uh, for the most part, he does make a lot of the right decisions. Obviously, as a freshman, uh, he had plenty of freshman mistakes at USC, but uh, he's a kid who, who knows what he's doing. Again, uh, he's a technician. 
Uh, he can read defense as well, and he did that all through high school and some at, at Southern Cal, too. Um, again, he won that job as a freshman. And again, the talent's there. He has a big arm. He is accurate. He doesn't have a Matt Stafford, Jacob Beast, and Trevor Lawrence type of arm strength that I've seen. But he can still push the ball down the field. And, and George's new style of offense with Todd Munkin, you know, he and Jamie Newman and whoever, you know, ends up winning the job in the future, there's a lot of options and a lot of uh, you know, plays that they can control at the line of scrimmage. There's just a lot that he has going for him. And I think his skill set translates well to George's new offense, Todd Munkin coming in. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm just curious about, because there's starting to be a little bit of a divide between how folks who watched a lot of Wake last year, who watched how Jamie Newman played against better competition, and then you sit here and you think, okay, they don't have a lot of depth at quarterback this year. Like Brock's not here yet. JT can't play yet. Um, but people just have penciled in. I think Georgia fans and some of my close friends have done this where they're just like, Jamie's just going to be awesome. Like he's just going to be great. He's going to light it up in the SEC. He was great at Wake. So that means he's going to be great at Georgia. I, I wonder about this. Like Florida's going to be good. Tennessee's going to be a lot better. I think South Carolina's going to be improved. Kentucky's not going anywhere. I, I look at the Alabama game. I, there's a lot of pathways for this to not go as well as they expected. Like a whole new offense with no spring practice. They're changing everything. They have an offensive line that's gone through a lot of changes for the first time in a while. I have a lot of questions about this Georgia offense. And I don't think it's a, a slam dunk that Jamie Newman is the answer there. Like just going from the kind of stability you had in from to this whole new world and whole new offense, whole new quarterback is going to take time. And I don't know. I think if you're Kirby, like I think Carson actually will have a real shot to get some significant reps and actually steal this job, because I don't think it's a guarantee that Jamie Newman is going to just translate extremely well to the sec. Like people have written that in. I don't know that for certain. Well, I'm kind of with you there. I think that's uh, pretty good on your part. I think that I mean, Jamie Newman, some people have him as like the fifth best Heisman odds and a first round yeah. draft grade. And I'm thinking I, there's not much he did at Wake Forest for me to believe that. I'm not as high on Jamie Newman as other people who cover Georgia in the industry. I know that. And I do think that I'm a little higher on Carson Beck than everyone else is. Um, I went and saw him play as a senior. He wasn't great, didn't put up great numbers, but I definitely saw his best game of that year, and I am high on Carson Beck. But going back to to Jamie Newman, it it is going to be tough, and I think Kirby Smart has lost a lot of sleep this spring. I mean, he's bringing in a new offensive coordinator, a new offensive scheme, like you said, a new quarterback, four new starters on the offensive line, and unless you want to call Ben Cleveland a starter, I mean, he's kind of a plug-in guy when someone else is dinged up, but Four new starters on the offensive line, new quarterback, new OC, new system, a new tight end, and a really young receiving core still. I mean, they need someone to step up opposite of George Pickens, who's still going to be a sophomore. George Pickens existing uh, is enough to keep Curry smart up at night. Exactly, exactly. So a big, big question mark on the offense, and I've written about it on Dog Post a number of times. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see George's offense struggle early on they needed this spring they needed jamie newman and todd munkin 
to be on the same page. They needed Jamie Newman to be in sync with his receivers. This was a very, very big few months for Georgia football, and it didn't happen. So as good as the defense is going to be, it's going to be one of the best in the country. The offense, I still think, is a really big question mark heading into, uh, I guess, the summer and into the football season. I just I love the idea of Carson winning the job because then if you talk about oh just that's the worst case scenario for Georgia fans I think because if Carson wins the job guess what the other three are gone like that that is something that you have to consider is that if Carson wins this job as a freshman true freshman or if he just comes in for Jamie Newman and he gets hurt or plays poorly in week four guess what if Carson plays well Brock's gone. Like that guy, he he's gone. Like you're losing the five star. He may not go back to Oklahoma, but he's he's gone. And then you have JT Daniels, who made this jump, and then he's not going to get a real competition because Carson just played too well down the stretch. And it's a Keaton Slovis situation, I guess. Um, and then you go from all these quarterbacks to just Carson Beck, and I I just think it's fascinating. And uh, like you said, this is the kind of stuff that keeps Kirby up at night. But man, it is really hard juggling quarterbacks and keeping all of them happy and. Um, you can't have them all. And a lot of these guys are just going to bounce around. And I, I don't know. I just, that, that is my favorite non-Georgia fan hope is that Carson wins this job in chaos ensues. Well, it's crazy because quarterbacks are obviously a different breed and they all have that confidence and swagger to them. Like I know Carson Beck and his family really well. He's coming in to compete. He came in wanting to win the job from Jamie Newman. And he's going to out there. He, he still wants the job. He's excited to be a bulldog. It was a real competition that Jamie did not have this job wrapped up. I, I think they did, too. And, uh, again, Carson's from Jacksonville, and Todd Munkin was the Jacks uh, coordinator for a long, long time. So there is a little bit of connection there. I don't want to go into it too much, but there is a lot of familiarity between Carson Beck and his family and Todd Munkin. They've known each other mm. for a long, long time. Uh, so just something to keep an eye on there. But, no, Carson is not – that scared of competition obviously Brock uh and his dad have said we're not afraid of competition I saw Brock Vandegrift throw last weekend and spoke with him at length um without knowing the the JT Daniels stuff at the time but Brock said yeah I'm ready to come in hit the ground running and compete for starting job and that's what every quarterback is gonna say but at the end of the day there's only one QB1 and you've got three or four guys who are all you know saying I'm ready to compete I want to win the job um so it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, who ends up winning it in 21 and 22. There could be a quarterback controversy in Athens for a long time. Who wins the job? Who ends up transferring? What happens in recruiting? Um, you got to love it. It's great for storylines. It's great for guys like myself to have something to write about. And people love talking about quarterback controversies. And honestly, there was one in Athens uh, for the past two years between Easton and Fromm, Fromm and Fields. And it seems like we're going to have another one in Athens probably for the next, you know, two to three years, depending on who steps up and who ends up winning that job and keeping it for themselves. So have you, have you talked to Carson since JT made the, made the jump? I have not. I spoke with his dad um, last week just to catch up, seeing how he was doing during, you know, through quarantine, his workout schedule and well, you know, what he's been up to and, um, I decided not to, to call them last night. I know his phone's probably been blowing up. It's yeah. something that I'll have to do soon. Um, but I just didn't want to be that media guy who calls them immediately because I knew there would be others to do that. And, uh, and we have a really, really good relationship. So I know I can call him at any time and, and, and get the latest. 
but I didn't want to do it immediately after this happened because I don't know if they knew it was happening. I knew they they knew the Georgia staff wanted to add another guy with Carson Beck because they were uh, recruiting C.J. Stroud for a long mm. time there at the end. He went to Ohio State, but he took a visit to Georgia in late November for the Texas A&M game, and Georgia wanted to bring him in with Carson, and Carson was totally fine with that. He said, that's fine with me. I'm going to be an early enrollee. I know these guys already. You know, this, this job's going to be mine. And that's kind of the mindset you have to have if you end up wanting to win a job like at Georgia. So they knew that there was going to be competition. They obviously didn't sign C.J. Stroud, but I don't think they're super shocked that they brought in another grad transfer. Probably wasn't ideal. Um, you know, it's not like they're super happy about it, I would assume. But at the end of the day, um, you know, that's football. That's major big-time football. You see it at Alabama all the time. Cooper Bateman, so many other five-star quarterbacks have to transfer. But if you get the job, you're the hero. You're the guy on campus and all that. And, uh, yeah, it's very attractive. But that it comes with being at a program like Georgia and at Alabama and all these other places. Quarterback transfer. There's only one spot, but you want to bring in a five-star every year as much as you can because uh, injuries happen, obviously. But – the end of the day there's only one guy and you're going to see transfers happen more and more not only at you know big programs in the sec but across the country yeah well i mean it's going to be fun at the very least um when it comes to monken something that i've also wondered about is do you think he's gotten assurances from kirby that he's going to get the lane kiffin treatment from saban where it's just like I understand you're a control freak. You want to have a say over everything, but um, you're going to have to just let me let me do my stuff. Like, Lane got carte blanche to just do his own offense, and Saban had to give up a lot of control that he never usually does. Do you think Kirby will be comfortable going from, we're going to be a run-first physical team to Ton Monken's going to throw 65 times, so we're going to be in the shotgun on the two-yard line, and uh, Kirby might throw up uh, from the sideline? Like, what do, what do you think? I think... In order to get a guy like Todd Monk, and I think Kirby had it tell him, listen, the offense is yours. Um, I'll let you know what I would like to do with the offense, but at the end of the day, it, it's going to be your call. And I think that was kind of the only way he would get a guy like Monk to come in. But I definitely think he's going to change the offense and become a little more modern. Georgia is known as running back you. They want to pound you and force their will on you. And that's what Kirby said and has said the past four years. He wants to wear defense down, run them over in the fourth quarter, and then run away with the game. But in today's college football, you have to be able to throw the ball downfield and score 40 or 50 points if you want to win a national championship. I mean, look what Clemson's doing with, with Trevor, Ohio State with Justin, and then obviously what Alabama did with Tua. You've got to open it up nowadays. You need playmakers. you got to get the ball to them. You have to score quickly at times. And I think Kirby's figured that out, and he said, you know what? I'm going to run my defense. We're going to be very, very good. I'm going to bring in a guy like Todd Munkin to – put up points on the board and be able to put up points quickly if he needs to. So I think he's come a long way. I don't think it was easy for Kirby who is, you know, wants to be in control of everything, like you said, but I do think with more and more as time goes by that he is starting to adapt to maybe changing the offense to more of a modern offense. And he did it with, uh, you know, bringing in Todd Munkin. True or false Florida wins the SEC East next year. True or false what? I'm sorry. Florida wins the SEC East this year. That's false. I like Florida. I like Kyle Trask, and they're going to have a very good defense. But if Georgia can find a way to score points at a nice little rate, their defense is going to keep them in every single game. And 
I think Georgia is too talented and a little too deep right now. Again, Florida's a very good team. They're probably a top-10 team, but there's nothing that they've done that makes me believe that they're a better team than Georgia. I think Georgia's defense could be even better than they were elastically. They won't be statistically because they went against some really bad quarterbacks all throughout the year last year. So I, I, I think they might maybe give up probably more points per game, this and that. But collectively, they're going to be very, very strong. So if Georgia can find a way to get this offense rolling, especially against Florida, because that's what it's going to come down to. And it usually does. That game in Jacksonville, Georgia-Florida, that's what the East is going to come down to again. And I just think Georgia is still a little bit of a better team right now. Hmm. I've talked myself into Florida. I'm more comfortable with Trask in that group yeah. for this year. Yeah. This year, just this year, because I just I have questions about the offense at Georgia and Newman yeah. and everything else. I, I, you're not the only one. <laughs> betting against Mullen is just that guy. He wins ten games. Dan Mullen, what he does is he gets the most out of uh, his guys. And I, I don't know. Like I doubted Cal Trask all last year, and then it was just like, okay, I guess he's fine. That was it. Was just like I felt defeat because he just he survived, and I don't know. Um, Tennessee's coming. I will say this though: Tennessee's coming. They're getting better, and I knew they would. I thought the Jeremy Pruitt hire was a home run hire because he can recruit, and we've seen that recently. But I do think Florida's schedule is easier than Georgia's. So if you look at that, yeah. um, I mean, I can totally see where people are very high on Florida this year. Again, they're going to be a really good team. I'm just not sold on it happening this year just yet. Well, if it doesn't happen this year, I don't know when it's going to happen. Because Tennessee's right. coming and Georgia's not going anywhere. I, like I just feel like with Trask, they actually have a weird advantage um, at the quarterback position in the SEC this year. Like it just seems yeah. like if Florida's going to break through, it has to be this year. I don't like Florida's offensive line right now. I think that's a big question mark. And against yeah. Georgia, I, I, Georgia's defensive line is going to be even better than they were last year. So. I think that's a really, really bad matchup. And we're just talking about the game in Jacksonville alone. But Florida's offensive line does worry me a little bit. They obviously have weapons. Uh, Kyle Trask is one of the top returning quarterbacks, not only in the SEC, but probably in the country. And that defense is going to be stout again. So I do think it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, but I, I still think Georgia's a little bit better of a team right now, even with the question mark on offense. I do think that, that um, they will get better there as the season goes on. But it wouldn't surprise me if they did struggle there early on. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I think it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be fun. Um, Tennessee starting all five stars in their offensive line is going to be weird. Um, Harrison Bailey's coming. Like, and my guy, Brett Meyer, that dude is just a human wrecking ball. All in on that guy. He doesn't care. I mean, he's had like 37 concussions since he's been at Tennessee. Um but that dude does not care, and I, I cannot wait to see him hopefully play because Jared Garantano is maybe the most boring quarterback I've unfortunately had to watch for a long period of time. Um, Feels like he's been there six years. I, mean, I can't believe he's a long still... time. And then <laughs> I think a lot of people are going to be like, "Is that Felipe Franks at Arkansas? What's happening? Is yeah. everybody just switching? Like, what? Wh- how? How did this happen? How?" Um, and then Joey Gatewood at Kentucky. Um, yeah. He trains with the same guy that trains Carson Beck, and he told me huh. Joey Gatewood is going to surprise everyone. So something to watch there. He might make Kentucky better. Maybe they'll upset a South Carolina or maybe Tennessee if Tennessee's not on their game. But we'll see. Uh, I do like Harrison Bailey. Obviously, I've um, lived in Marietta for a little bit while he was there. I got to know him and covered him all four years at Marietta. I think he's a winner. I think that was an excellent 
uh, signing uh, for Jeremy Pruitt and, and Tennessee. He's going to be a multi-year starter at Tennessee, and he's going to be a good one too. So the future is bright, bright for uh, for Tennessee. I'll say that he's the shortest six-four person I've ever seen. <laughs> he's he's got some height to him. He doesn't uh, look like it. When I watch him play, I'm like, this guy. I I remember I first looked at it was like six four. I'm like, that guy's not six four. What is this? He's not six four. That's insane. I wouldn't call him six four. He's probably six three, six three and a half uh, at most. But with the cleats on, he might be a, a hair under six four. But yeah, none of these kids are six four. I think I think George Pickens is listed at six four. He's actually six two. Uh, I mean. Here. Don't go after Pickens. <laughs> hey, uh, he, he might be a head case, but he's incredibly talented, and he has a bright future ahead of him if he he's can uh, not throw punches on the two field. Years. He's going to be great <laughs> at QB at Auburn in two years. That's what I will say. I like it, Chase. I mean, I, there's just no way Kirby's doing this for three years. It's just, it's not happening. Well, that's the grad assistant job. They're the ones who make sure he stays uh, where he needs to be. He's in uh, the classroom. He's in meetings. He's doing whatever he's supposed to. So that's the part that Kirby has no problem delegating and making sure others are uh, are on top of George Pickens and all that. So Well, that worked out for Mark Rick, right? Yeah, for some guys, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, yeah college football it's it's really fun um i forgot that joe gatewood wound up at kentucky like i just i i I just assume terry wilson is their quarterback for the rest of my life um (laughs) that's god i really hope we have football in a normal season that that is what i hope because it's this is going to be like the most i think this has the chance to be like one of the most topsy-turvy sec seasons in a long time because alabama's got some weird stuff with just like Nick Saban's all in on what losses teach them and blah, 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 blah. And we, Bryce Young, when does he get the job from Mac Jones or does Mac keep it the whole year? Then you have LSU with Linehan running the offense now. And no Joe Brady. What do they look like? They have a new quarterback. Just Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach in the West. Sam Pittman with Felipe Franks being terrible. They're going to go oh, whatever in the SEC West. Sorry, guys. Um, glad you said it. Glad you said I didn't have to. Pittman is like, he seems like a really great guy and someone easy to root for. Um, They're going to be awful. And he took a really, really hard job that Bielma couldn't do, that Chad Morris couldn't do. I don't know if anyone can win at Arkansas with the way the SEC West is right right. now. It it might be the toughest job in the country. But that's the only way he's going to get a head coaching job because he's an offensive line coach. Like, he didn't have many options. And if it's an SEC job, it's an SEC job. But the idea that, like... I just think that press conference was so good that people were like, oh, this could work. And it's like, uh, let's just wait. It's like the quarterback stuff. It's just once the game start, you're going to be like, oh, right. He's still coaching at Arkansas and they're losing 49 to 7 to Texas A&M at home. Like that, that's when it hits you and you're like, oh, this is this is not happening. And then, I mean, Texas A&M, this is uh, they Jimbo needs to start winning big games. He needs to start breaking through. And. I like Kellen Mond a lot, and you can make the case that he's the best veteran quarterback in the SEC this year. Like, they could win the West. That is not out of the question. I I just, I'm curious, and it always seems like one or two teams is ahead of schedule, where, like, Tennessee, we keep waiting on, but maybe this is the year they break through. Maybe they really, really have a big win. They beat Georgia, or they beat Florida, and they um, really start getting in there. Does Will Muschamp bring in Mike Bobo? change uh yeah. south carolina's fortunes with holinsky i i am very very fascinated because i think when you look up and down everybody in the sec this year it can go a lot of different ways 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Auburn as well. They think Bo Nix yeah. is the second coming of whoever. Uh, their defense is going to be stout, but they lost a lot of guys. But I still think Auburn will um, be that team that they usually are. They look average, you know, the first half of the season and then kind of turn it on and um, give a lot of teams fight. And they usually play better as the season goes on. We'll see how they do. But it's going to be really interesting. You're right about that. Yeah, I mean, Chad Morris, we'll see, like Gus Malzahn, does he keep the offense? Does he give it back? Does Like, he just, I don't know. Auburn is mercurial forever. Um, all right, man. Well, this has been great. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, is there anything we should check out from you at Dog Post this week? Oh, man, lots of uh, recruiting news. I know that. I'm uh, getting ready. I think there could be some more possible commitments for Georgia in the next few days, so. Uh, so for me, I'm just making calls, uh, trying to stay on top of things. But uh, if you go on to Dog Post, there should be plenty of recruiting news in the next few days and obviously more on JT Daniels and uh, what the Bulldogs could look like in the 2020 season. All right, go do that. Um, keep up the great work, sir, and we will touch base soon. All right, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. All right, we are good. Hi, this is Chuck Dowdle of Bulldogs Roundtable, and I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Be sure to check out Chase's website at chasethomaspodcast.com and follow the Stone Mountain Native on Twitter and Facebook and listen to my show, Bulldog Roundtable, every Tuesday and Thursday from 9 to 9.30 on 680 The Fan. Have a great Bulldog Day, everybody. All right, welcome back to a Thursday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by Lanier Longhorns head football coach, Corey Mobs. Corey, good afternoon, sir. How are you hanging in there? Doing great. I appreciate you having me on this afternoon. Appreciate you being here. You're the first coach that um, I've had on from Gwinnett County. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, I went to Parkview. Um, I will not hold that okay. against you. Corey, um, well, I'm, I'm I'm actually a Parkview grad as well, so we're really? we're in the same on the same page. Yep, okay. graduated in '99. So, okay, did you were you on the football team? I was, I was. Yep. What position did you play? Now we got we got I to play. start here. This is not in my notes, so we have to start here, Corey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, played strong safety. Uh, okay. Started my junior and senior year, and in the '97 season was my junior year, and that's that was Parkview's first state championship team. So, Dave County was. Yeah, was definitely uh, surrounded by a lot of really good players, and and was fortunate to be on the field with those guys and and kind of a role player. But uh, nonetheless, what a what a great experience that was. Do you still keep in touch with Cecil Flo at all? I do, I do. I, I talk to him, uh, you know, maybe once or twice a year. Um, doing well, and obviously had a big impact on me and and what I'm currently doing. Okay, well, that actually answers one of my early questions, which was. Who influenced you the most in your coaching development at this point in your career? Yeah, so you know, definitely, I, I would I would look back at my my coaches at Parkview to start. Um, Coach Flo had a huge impact. Coach Larry Massey, mm-hmm. who um, was our defense coordinator, uh, Coach Jerry Stewart, and then yep. Coach Todd Salo, all had That's an my guy. enormous impact. Salo yeah, he was my he's guy. My, he's my dude, and uh, you know, I just just. Just the relationships that they built with kids uh, was so authentic and at the same time was tough and demanding. And so that's kind of what, you know, made me realize, hey, I think I want to do this for a living. And uh, just had some great, great people along the along my path of coaching 
uh, Coach Billy Wells was uh, our defense coordinator at Collinsville when I started coaching. And then when we went to Lanier, uh, that's who I went with. I was the offensive coordinator when we started. And then a couple of years later, I became the head football coach. And, and a lot of that is due to him and, and kind of the path that he um, paved for me. And, and I'm very, very thankful for that. How has COVID-19 changed coaching for you and your staff this summer? Well, uh, haven't seen our kids since mid-March. Uh, we've seen them uh, virtually. So it, it's definitely been, uh, it's been different. I think, you know, I always try to look at the positive side of things, and, and we've really tried to invest in those relationships with our kids. Uh, we've met several times a week uh, via Zoom and um, just, you know, trying to encourage our kids and motivate our kids to work out and, and keep things going. You know, obviously we're excited that, the GHSA has, has decided we can go back pretty soon. And now we're in the midst of forming our plan in order to meet all of the guidelines that the uh, state of Georgia has, has put in front of us. So it's going to be Gwinnett County is going to do their own guidelines from Forsyth from, uh, or is it across the board? So uh, they're meeting today. The athletic directors are meeting today. So we'll have official word on, mm-hmm. on what, you know, extra, I think Gwinnett puts on there and obviously it's all about the safety of kids. And yep. so we'll do, we'll do all that's in our power and, and certainly follow all those guidelines, but we're excited about seeing our kids. And, um, you know, sometimes maybe we've taken that for granted in the past and, and I don't think that's going to be the case this summer. What's going to be different about high school football this fall? You know, um, I mean, I, I think as a, <laughs> You know, I, I don't know. Try not, try not to get political here. I think we're gonna have to get past a few things um, by continuing to keep our kids safe, but also understanding that there are risks in everything that we do. Um, and you know, I, the good thing is, I'm just a football coach, so so I don't get to make those big dog decisions. But when they tell us, you know, we're a go, then then we'll follow those things. And I think it's big. The, the month of June is gonna be big for us because you know there's there's a bunch of rules that we need to follow you know, first of all, to keep the kids safe. But I think if we can follow those and hopefully provide positive data during that, that month, um, hopefully June becomes more of a open July and we get back to some somewhat normalcy. And then hopefully, you know, obviously that sets the table for, for August. Um, but, you know, really right now we're going to take it one step at a time and just glad to be back with our kids here pretty soon. What have kids asked about the most? What have you found that they're asking you and your staff the most in the last five uh <laughs> the number one question the number one text i get is coach when are we get back when are we get <laughs> back and and, okay. and i think you know it's been good for the kids because they realize you know how much the grind um is enjoyable and how much that you know that that maybe that mundane workout on a on a monday or a tuesday i i don't think they'll they'll again take that for granted and i hope we've, we've learned some things about ourselves too that you know, we've got a great opportunity to not only impact kids, but also from a community standpoint, I think high school football is the linchpin of of a community. And with that being said, when it doesn't exist, you know, you kind of sit back and you think about, you know, how you, how you feel about it. And um, I think we miss it more than ever. And at the same time, I think we won't, we won't take that for granted, you know, moving forward and, and just really enjoy every mundane moment of football. The toughest team in your region this fall is who? 
Yeah, so uh, we're, we're joining a new region. Yep. Um, actually, actually got some teams coming in. Buford is coming in, and then Decula has kind of been the standard of our region. And so that's a tough question. I, I uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use coach speak and say that <laughs> every team's gonna be tough every Friday night. But obviously, I think you look at those two, um, and we know what both of them have done. Uh, Decula is a uh, state semifinalist two years in a row. Uh, we were there two years ago in the state semifinals, and then obviously Buford coming in as a state champion. You know, it's going to be a tough region. So we, we're going to, you know, obviously look at every Friday night as the same, but you feel like if you can just find a way to survive our region, you got a shot if you can get into the playoffs. So we're look, really very much looking forward to that. Has Buford been kind of the model of what you've looked towards um, in your region where you're like, let's, let's try and get there. We want to be the Buford of this region of this class. Uh, you know, we have not competed against them, so I would right. say no. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I think our success speaks for itself. And mm. so, you know, the model is, is, you know, again, a little bit more coach speak is just, just giving everything you got every day, yeah. you know, and, uh, and we've had, we're fortunate to have a very stable staff, uh, but also some really good football players that have proved uh, to be great ambassadors for our program and in our community and and uh, obviously are very excited about watching those guys when they leave our program do great things. So you mentioned Dekula, and I wanted to ask you about this. What what happened last year in the Dekula game? What When you look back and you watch back the film of what happened late in the season last year against Dekula, what, what did you see? Uh, I feel like we started the, the way that we wanted to um, and really – you know, maybe had them on their heels to start the game. And, and uh, you know, as a coach, you always look – it never comes down to one play, but you look you look back. And, you know, I really feel like if we had not had to settle for a field goal on our opening drive um, and punched it in the end zone, then it would have been a four-quarter battle. We weren't able to do that. We did take the lead three to nothing. And, um, you know, we're playing really good football till probably about eight minutes left in, in the second quarter and, and kind of – wheels fell off a little bit but you know w- with that being said I mean they're they're they were one of the most talented teams in the state last year and we went yep. toe-to-toe with them uh didn't didn't do that for four quarters but um a lot of things to be proud of that I think we built on and and, and had a a tough first round opponent in Sprayberry and got past them and then really were a player two away from from making to the quarterfinals again against Richmond Hill who was a good football team that ended up being a state semifinalist what about this year's team makes you believe that you can build off last year's playoff team? Well, I feel like our guys, you know, as a coach, you, you may naturally look at who you lost or, you know, your senior class that you're losing every year, but each team creates a new identity. And I think our guys, you know, with that being said, our guys have really bought into, Hey, we're the next group up. We've established a program. There's a tradition um, this is a standard of how we practice, how we go about our daily activities. And so really the faces change, but the structure stays the same. And we, we, we try to talk about that a lot is, you know, here's the standard guys and we need to continue to raise that bar. Look at that standard and know, you know, what's set been set uh, before those guys with previous players uh, then that's when the program begins to to take off. And so we're going to continue to try to take the next step and raise the bar. Um, and I think this group is, is a group that can surely do that. Who in Classic A, I know you mentioned 
Buford and, and Dekula, but is there anyone else that you really have your eye on um, this fall that you're like, oh, I, I hope we can play them, or I, I'm interested to see how they look? Yeah, I think, uh, obviously, it starts with our region. I don't think you can get any further because, uh, you know, it's going to be a dogfight every Friday night. Um, we, we set forth a pretty competitive non-region schedule as well. Uh, we're going to play Dutchtown, who has had a lot of success in 5A. Uh, we also play Denmark, who has had a lot of success. And then um, we actually played three 7A schools, uh, Peachtree Ridge being one of those. You know, it, it, to, to us, that's a big deal, being in Gwinnett, to play a Gwinnett 7A school, you know, a school that has twice the enrollment we, we have. Um, and, and we feel like from a non-region standpoint, you need, to, you need to compete and you need to challenge yourself, and that's what – prepares you for the region. So looking at 6A, um, you know, I think 6A is tremendously tougher than it's been because you're adding many of the city schools, uh-huh. um, you know, Buford, Buford being one of those, uh, Carrollton, Rome, just to name a few. Valdosta's and then of course, right? Valdosta has been in our, has been in our classification yeah. and, and then Lee County, uh, it's kind of been the standard of, of 6A. Um, didn't win it last year, but won it, won it the two previous years. And, um, so 6A top to bottom, you know, I would argue, and, and I might be biased because we're in there, but I think top to bottom, it's, it's, it's very, very tough. And, uh, but you want to challenge yourself. And so we're excited about that challenge. How is it being a, a coach at a school like Linear where Dekula has often been the, the lone school? It felt like when I was growing up where they were on the border of belonging in the up the top tier classification and then maybe having more success one tier down and stuff like that. Do you at all have to worry about enrollment and think about, Oh, we might be in seven, a, if we get to here or we are back to six, a, or we would rather just stay in one, one classification so I can get used to that. And just that's, that's who we are. Is that difficult and something you and the, the school have to think about a lot? Yeah. I mean, I think you, I think I'm a, I'm a proponent of playing where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was maybe some argument when the reclassification started was, you know, whether or not Lanier was going to go on into 7A. I do think that down the road, I don't know how far that road is, but that's probably our future um, as long as we continue to grow. But we've kind of found a niche of being in a smaller classification. And really, mm-hmm. it's been good for us as a school, athletically, as a community, because we were able to grow at the, at the pace that you want to. We weren't thrown into 7A when we weren't ready to compete. And now that we've kind of grown, uh, we started in 3A, went to 4A, we're in 5A, and now we've been in 6A here. This will be um, – we're going into year three and then to four. Um, you know, I, I just think I, I'm a proponent of playing where you're supposed to. And yeah. so, you know, that argument, um, you know, I think it takes care of itself. I mean, if our enrollment gets there, then, then we'll be more than happy to jump into 7A. And we'll be closer to a lot of Gwinnett schools, um, and travel won't be as big of a deal, but – you know, with that being said, we've we've kind of enjoyed being in a smaller classification, no doubt. How have offenses and defenses changed over the last 10-plus years in high school football from your perspective? Because I went back and I watched um, the Parvey-Brooklyn game, state championship game from 2001, and <laughs> Parvey threw the ball one time on their opening possession. You had Brookwood just going side-to-side side with Covington, and he could fly and all that, but it was, we're going to put a bunch of people in the box and we're just going to see if we can out-physical you. And that was the style of the early 2000s. If you could do it, it was like the Alabama model of if you have the bodies to play that way, 
then it works really well. But if you don't, it gets ugly fast. And it just seems like no one plays like that anymore. When I watch high school football every Friday and I just bounce around and I look through different teams and it, it's very free flowing. It's very RPO heavy. It's very quick, quick slants. Not a lot of stuff that down the field, not a lot of time there. Um, is that a fair assessment of how much it's changed and it's more get the ball out quickly, find one read, get it out. And then defense is just kind of sending a lot of people, but also just having just a bunch of athletes on the field that can just fly around and do different things. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you hit it on the, on the head. Um, you know, people are willing to throw it around a good bit more uh, nowadays. RPOs have definitely changed the game uh, because it makes the defense wrong uh, with, with what you're doing offensively. But, you know, it's funny you mentioned 2001. Look back at the 97 state championship, played Tiff County. We threw the ball three times, <laughs> uh, three for three for 160-something yards. Buster Faulkner was our quarterback. Yeah. He was a sophomore at the time. And that's just how ball was played. Uh, but I would say this. I, I would say this. I, I still think with all of throwing, throwing the ball around the field that you see now in the game, still the most physical football team. 99% of the time is going to win the football game. And so, you know, I think there's a misconception that when we spread it out, you know, maybe we're not as physical as, as, as we want to be or, or the game has become less physical. And that may be the case for some, but I still think in the spread, regardless of what formation you're in, those that run the ball with a tough nature about them and do it consistently – um, are the are the teams that have success, and and I think I think that's the case. You look at who's won the state championship in the past, you know, past year or two. It's it's the most physical football team, and obviously you got to have good players to execute those things and play good defense. Uh, we've always tried to pride ourselves on playing good defense at Lanier. We've had some really good football players that have helped in that process, but I still I, I still think it, it rings true that those that play great defense and run the football have a chance to win games on Friday nights. Okay. Why do you think it is that shotguns has just been the new way for quarterbacks where it's just you like Baker Mayfield, just being uncomfortable being under center and like just a lot of NFL quarterbacks now, like they would just prefer to be out of the gun most of the time. Do you have a lot of kids when you have, when you're coaching the position that just are more comfortable being back there in shotgun formation versus under center is that why is that difficult for a lot of kids now just being under center a lot i think it's i think it's just what they've grown up doing you know mm-hmm. it, it it is a bit easier um as long as you got a guy that can get it back there to them consistently yes yeah. um but, but i also think that you see quarterbacks that can do both transition well to the next level and you know there's there's still a lot of under center play um, especially at the college level, and and we had a we had a quarterback that, that a couple of years ago, Zach Calzada, that signed with Texas A and M, and he had great training and he had the ability to do both, and I think that served him well when he got to A and M because they're going to ask you to do everything at the college level. So you know we still work it on a daily basis, and we may not do it, but maybe three or four times in a season, and hopefully we're doing that in victory formation when we're putting the knee on the ground. But with that being said, I think it's something that you do have to work on, um, especially, you know, you're down in there on the goal line and, and a lot of people will go crazy when you get in the gun um, to try to, you know, stick it in there, run the ball. And people will say, why not get under center and, and, and sneak it in there? So there's a lot of arguments, you know, for and against. We're in the gun predominantly. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's, it's definitely something you? you've got to work. Oh, I would say we're 90, 90 
eight ninety nine percent. Interesting. Um, like I like I was like I said. I mean, you hope to be under center in victory formation, and uh, that's pretty much it for us. But 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 again, I, I do think you have to work on it. That's fascinating, and it just it happens so quickly. It's just one of those things where you go back and you have to watch some tape, and you're like, we just flipped. Just guys were just like, you know what? We're just going to be in the shotgun from here on out, and um, it is it is fascinating. Is there a way you could describe your offensive philosophy and defensive philosophy? Like, how would you describe who the linear Longhorns are and who your identity is on both sides of the the ball? Yeah, so so we're going to be. We like to say we're a power spread team. Okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna hang our hat on running the football in many different ways, uh, both zone schemes and gap schemes. Um, but we're also going to take advantage of what the defense gives us. So if we need to take shots downfield, we're going to do that. And obviously you got to have a trigger man that can make decisions on the run. And that's kind of what the, you know, the whole RPO game is about, um, trying to make the defense wrong wherever they line up and giving yourself an out in a bad play without necessarily having to audible um, you know, out of out of a certain play, you got you basically got two options with that. So we we, we do a good bit of that, and and really when when uh, when it when it's when it's time to you know make hay in in, in the fourth quarter, we, we want to be able to run the ball. We want to be able to finish the game on offense. Defensively, we're three four, okay, um, and we're going to pressure in many different ways. Uh, we just feel like athletically, we got four linebackers most most years that can be kind of the the uh, standard of our defense and, and and the good thing is we've been very fortunate to have defensive linemen that are disruptive that use their hands very well and are also very athletic and and, and obviously we know that um you know that's a big part of the game now getting to the passer you know guys in the nfl they don't they don't make money to stop the run they make money to to get to the quarterback and yep. and so you got you got to have those guys and uh you know luckily uh we just had our first ever NFL draft pick, Derek Brown, Derek Brown yeah. uh, went number seven overall to the Carolina Panthers, and and I, you know, we're certainly proud of him, and he's been a great ambassador for our community and our program. In your in your experience, what have you found to be harder to teach kids, uh, offensive schemes or defensive schemes? What's a more difficult um, part of coaching for you? Uh, that's you know, uh, that's a good question. I, I I've been fortunate to. Uh, start my career on the defensive side of the ball. That's what I played. Mm-hmm. And then when we got to Lanier, I transitioned to the offensive side, and I think that's been great for me uh, just from a head coach's standpoint because I, I can make head coach decisions that aren't based on offense or defense, but really what's best for our football team. And uh, we've got some amazing coaches. I think as a coach in general, uh, less is more sometimes for kids because you can fill their brain with so much scheme and so many ways to do things but when it matters most in the fourth quarter, they're going to revert back to those fundamental teachings that you've given them from day one. And so we really try to, um, on a normal practice day, we try to really accentuate our fundamental and individual time, that drill time. We want to make it very pertinent for what they're going to do on the field, but, but repetitive so that their second nature is, you know, this is what I do in this situation because this is what I've been taught since day one. So I don't know if, I don't know if it's necessarily one's harder than the other. I just think you have to focus on the fundamentals, and and when it matters, that's that's what that's what comes out for players. What are your expectations this fall when you look at uh, when you look at the schedule? You look at the regions. You look at who you're matched up against. 
Um, I know this is a tough question. <laughs> I mean, you you want to say ten and zero, but when you look at it, what are what are the realistic expectations for the linear Longhorns in twenty twenty? Yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to try to win every game, you know, and, and that, that goes without being said. But but I don't think you define your season on that. Um, I definitely think that you want to be competitive um, with the seven A schools that you play, and and, and really uh, from a physical standpoint, I think. You know, when you play 7A schools, they're going to have more numbers than you are, and you want to be just as physical as they are so that when you get to your region, you know, that depth, um, you know, there may be a couple teams in our region that have that kind of depth at the 7A school, but most of them maybe won't. And uh, so from a competitive standpoint, you want to make sure that you're bringing it every Friday night. Uh, I really like our group, you know. It's a fun group to be around, even though we haven't been around since March. Just Just those relationships – uh, over Zoom meetings that we've had, it's a fun group of kids. We've always had a great group of kids to work with. And, and to me, that's what it boils down to. And ultimately, as a head football coach, I'll be judged on, you know, wins and losses, and that's fine. Uh, but to me, the high school game and each season is so much more than that. And really, that's why I do what I do and why, why I got into high school coaching. So um, I know that was kind of a a coach speak answer. Oh no, that's what um, I expected. That's what I like. You, you were ready for it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, I don't know if you can answer this one too, but I'm curious if you, is the next Derek Brown currently in the linear Longhorn program, uh, linear Longhorn program? <laughs> uh, I hope so. Uh, we've got some really good players. Um, and I think, you know, Derek is a testament of, Number one, being blessed with God-given ability and God-given size, but also figuring out that just because you have that, you're not going to be the best player unless you put in the work. Mm. And as a freshman, he was the biggest guy on the field, the best player on the field, but he would tell you, he'd be the first to tell you that he wasn't the hardest worker. Um, Which and is crazy because that's he, like his calling card at Auburn and everywhere else. Like in that bowl game against Minnesota, he – he stayed. He wasn't rotated in and out. He just he kept fighting. Like that dude does not get gassed. Yeah, and that I think that's what's fun about his story is is you've seen that emerge. And and really by the time he was obviously he was starting for us full time as a sophomore, played really well. And as as a junior and a senior, you know a lot of times with recruiting and the way it all happens, you you see a kid have a great junior year and then get all the attention and get all the hype, and all of a sudden maybe they're just they're kind of cruising through their senior year. Well, he's the opposite of that. Um, he had a phenomenal junior year for us and then followed that up with an even better senior year. Uh, obviously why he was uh, the national defense player of the year. Um, he is actually the only defensive player to ever win the Max Preps national player of the year um, huh. still – to that to, to this day and you know obviously we live in an offensive world so that doesn't happen much for defensive players but that tells you what kind of impact he had and what you know we're obviously very proud of him because when he got to Auburn he didn't quit and he kept going and he got better and he learned how to work and and he used this platform not only to play football but also to impact the community there in Auburn Alabama and that's why he is who he is and then really it boils down to you know coming from an unbelievable family a mom and dad that that taught him um, accountability more than anything. And we were fortunate to be able to work with him and, and, and watch him get better in our program and then watch him do great things. And then he's going to continue to do that in the NFL. So to get back to your original question, I hope, I hope that there is the next year of Brown in our program, but I also don't want our kids to be 
you know, intimidated by that. I want them to be themselves and be the best that they can be every single day. Um, but also they can use him as an example that you can get there from here. You can get there from Sugar Hill, Georgia. Lanier High School is the place to be, and we're going to work our tails off in order to, you know, try to try to see if there is the next Derrick Brown. Well, there you go. I like it. Um, well, <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate uh, you making the time, Corey. I, I, we learned a lot. Um, good luck this season. I Well, you know what? Here's how we're going to wrap up. I'm going to go to either the Tequila game or I'm going to go to the Buford game. Which would you recommend? Okay. Which one do I go to, Corey? <laughs> I just recommend you come to a Lanier game. How about that? You, you choose which one you want to be at. Okay. All right, I'm gonna. I'll be at one, and uh, I'm gonna be. You're gonna be like, I, I recognize that voice. I re- he asked me about <laughs> RPOs and shotgun stuff. What is, what is he doing here? Um, yeah, there now, you go. There we go. And you, you know, let you let me know, and I'll make sure make sure you get on the sidelines with us. Awesome, awesome. Well, that sounds like a plan, sir. Good luck this season. Good luck this summer. I hope everything goes swimmingly. Things stay safe, and uh, you guys have a have a great season. So, Corey, thank you so much for the time, and uh, we will see each other again soon. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.